This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. What's going on, DMV? You know who it is. Youngest in charge movement, Linnell Willingham. Here with you live and local on 106.7 The Fan and always streaming live nationally on the free Odyssey app. Ride with me for the next three and a half hours here on this super-duper busy Wednesday night here in our nation's capital. Plenty to get to here tonight. The NFL's lone undefeated team in the Philadelphia Eagles just reloaded the clip up front. Howie Roseman, once again, proving he's simply just the best GM, executive, whatever the hell you want to call him, and maybe all the pro sports. I mean, it's it's literally, it's simply amazing what's going on. The way this guy just constantly has his foot on the gas. It's literally inspiring the way this man just wants it. And imagine being a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles, not having to worry about whether or not your organization is all in or not. It's a trickle-down effect that comes when the guys in the front office have that type of mindset, that go-hard-or-go-home mentality. The Eagles are trying to go get this thing. They're off to a 6-0 and start, and championship is on their mind, and, and I love everything about it right now. As a player, you feed off of that because you understand, like, hey, look, I got a standard to meet. I got to be on my best behavior. There isn't any excuses. Everyone from the top down within that organization is 110% bought into winning. It's not about good PR or feel-good story. It's about doing whatever it takes to put your team in the best position to win a championship. That's it. That's it. That's all. In case you're wondering what I'm talking about, the 6-0 Eagles went out and bolstered their already ferocious pass rush by sending a fourth-round pick to Chicago in exchange for veteran edge rusher Robert Quinn, who's coming off of a 18-and-a-half sack season a year ago which is absolutely absurd to me. He's obviously off to a slower start uh, to this year, only one sack in the first seven games for Chicago. But clearly, Robert Quinn's got something left in the tank, and the Eagles and Howie Roseman doing what they do best, being aggressive and taking a flyer on a guy like that. I I love the move for the Birds for multiple reasons, and it's more so about the mentality for me. And like I just said, everyone in that organization is 110% bought in. From the front office, to the guys selling tickets, to the business people, to the guys on the field, to the guys on the damn practice squad. There is a culture and mindset that's being established right now in Philadelphia. And it's damn beautiful to watch, man. Like I said, I love it for for, for the Eagles, but I hate it for D.C. Speaking of D.C. football and the Washington Commanders, they were able to overcome a completely horrendous first half from quarterback Taylor Heineke, who got the start for the injured Carson Wentz. And now this team sits at three and four, winners of two straight. And to be quite frank, don't look now, folks. The Washington Commanders all of a sudden have life because the NFC playoff picture through the first seven weeks is 
muddied, to say the least. Outside of Philadelphia, all the teams in the NFC have major glaring flaws and holes. And right now, every team in the conference outside of Philly can be beat on any given Sunday. As we sit here seven weeks into this thing, on October the 26th, only five of the 16 teams in the NFC have a winning record. Seven of those teams have a record of three and four. Washington obviously is jumbled up in that bunch. I say all that to say this. Despite how bad Washington looked offensively against Chicago, despite how horrendous they looked during that four-game losing streak, all of a sudden, this group suddenly has a pulse. The Washington Commanders were left for dead 10 days ago heading into that game against Chicago. And they've turned their season around here in the last 10 days. And the beautiful thing about it, the beautiful thing about it is they're going to be getting some pretty key guys back here in the coming weeks. Chase Young's return is looming. John Dotson's return is looming. Washington still has all of their season goals in front of them. And that's all you can ask for at this point in the season. There is new life within the Burgundy and Gold right now. And the biggest question, though, the biggest question, though, that remains for me, is it sustainable? Is it sustainable? Can Washington continue to win ugly? Because let's be honest, for the past two weeks, that's what it's been. The wins still count the same. But let's be real. That's what it's been. It hasn't been pretty. This isn't sexy. But it's results. And they're getting it done right now. And look, I'll take it. And I know the players will. I know this coaching staff will. The biggest test of how good these ugly wins are, though, is if you can build off the positives in the ugly wins. Can you take bits and pieces away from each facet of the game the past two weeks in both of these ugly wins? Can you take that and build upon it moving forward? You've been able to see the impact of complimentary football here in the past two weeks. Special teams has been huge during this two-game winning streak. Two game-changing plays on punt in back-to-back football games. That's something to build off of. That's something to hang your hat on. So when I talk about the biggest test of how good these ugly wins are is if you can build off the positives, that's what I mean. The past two weeks, the running game has proved to be very fruitful for this group. Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson complementing each other perfectly. Can you build off of that, though? And I know this coaching staff loves to see it because they feel as if that's part of who they are. And quite frankly, who they need to be in order to have sustained success. Let's do it. However you want to slice this pie, let's do it. As long as it ends up in wins, I think that's all you can really ask for as a fan. And I always say I'm a fan just like you guys are. I bleed burgundy and gold. I'm just fortunate enough to be gifted this platform to give you my opinion. But like I said, you you hear the tone in my voice here tonight. There is legit reason for optimism with the Washington Commanders right now. There is a renewed sense of urgency within this locker room. Because right now, you got something going. The guys in that locker room are picking up their focus level. They feel the sense of urgency, and they want it bad. Look at a guy like Terry McLaurin, how he's wearing his damn emotions on his sleeve all of a sudden. 
Man, I know you guys have seen the video that's gone viral on Twitter this afternoon of the the reaction that, that Terry McLaurin had to Taylor Heineke after he threw him that 30-yard touchdown against Green Bay on Sunday. That's what I want to see. That's the Burgundy and Gold squad that I'm going to go to bat for no matter what. Through hell or high water. If they play with that type of passion and emotion and energy, how can they be denied? Seriously. There's been a shift in mentality, in focus with this group. And the fact that it had to, that you had to have a four-game losing streak to have it happen, so what? So be it. Live in the now. We are in the present moment right now. Washington, by the end of Sunday, if they handle their business against Indianapolis, Washington could be in sole possession of the final wild card spot in the NFC. If if things bounce their way Sunday, I believe the scenario is if Baltimore is able to beat Tampa tomorrow night on Thursday night football. And I got to look up the other scenario here. I'll tell you that uh, as the show continues to roll on here tonight. But like I said, man, guys are feeding off of this newfound energy and emotion. That's the passion and the energy that's been missing from that side of the ball. So we'll see how how things shake out here moving forward. But I do know this. After seven weeks of football, Washington is alive and kicking. Just getting rolling here on Overtime here on 106.7 The Fan. Youngest in charge movement, Linnell Willingham, here with you until 10 o'clock tonight. You all know how I get down. It's the People's Show. Tapping with me all show long, one of two ways. MGM National Harbor Listener Lines wide open, 1-800-636-1067. Twitter and Instagram, you can tap in with me there as well. N-E-L-L underscore BTP. Our commanders seem to have found the thing that they've been searching for all season long, an offensive identity. They ran the football 28 times versus Chicago and 38 times in the win Sunday against Green Bay. So Washington, after two straight gutsy wins, have new life in the 2022 season. But the question remains for me, is this style of play sustainable for Washington? I'll tell you next. This is the fan. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. A Wednesday night edition of Overtime here in our nation's capital. Linnell Willingham. Taking you up to 10 o'clock before we dish the rock to the JR Sport Brief show. Open up today's show talking about the Washington Commanders. And obviously we all know they're in the midst of this two-game winning streak. 
and really changed their their season's fortunes around here in these last 10 days. You entered that Thursday night game against Chicago at 1-4. and four. The Grim Reaper was in Ashburn, ready to collect you and put you in a bag and really stick a fork in you for the 2022 season. But as we all know, they've ripped off two straight since that time. And right now, this is a group that in the last two weeks has found their offensive identity. And it's been interesting to me because it felt as if for the first six weeks of this season, they had no clue who they were offensively. When they asked offensive coordinator Scott Turner what type of football team they wanted to be, he said they wanted to be multiple. They wanted to be able to dictate what type of offense they were going to be stylistically. If teams are going to come out and play them with eight-man boxes, they wanted to be a team that was able to throw the football. When Carson Wentz was the starting quarterback of this football team early on in the season, we saw Washington get a lot of too high looks because teams respected Washington's ability to push the football down the field vertically. Here in the last two weeks, though, Washington has clearly established they want to be a run-first football team. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That is what they wanted. You see it reflected in the numbers. 38 carries in the win against Chicago. 28 carries. Excuse me. 38 carries in the win against Green Bay. 28 carries in the win against Chicago. There is an attitude and a mentality that they're trying to instill here. We want to punch teams in the mouth and play good defense and win the ugly, low-scoring games. And this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody because last year, and even in this offseason, they told us they constantly were referring to that four-game winning streak that happened a year ago where they were controlling time of possession and the running game was leading the way. That is the style of ball that they feel as if they can play the best. My question is, is that style of play sustainable, though, for Washington? And my answer is no. Because we haven't seen it consistently. I don't think it's sustainable moving forward. They're leaning very heavily on the run right now and trying to attack defenses with play action. They're trying to move the pocket with Taylor Heineke. Playing this way, that three yards in the cloud of dust brand of football, playing that way and relying so heavily on the running game leaves you such little margin for error. And I still have big questions about this group offensively despite the success they've had the past two weekends. Because we've seen it in other cases this year where Washington did come out running the ball well. They weren't able to sustain it even in that game. Go back to a game like Dallas in which that first half, Antonio Gibson was your offense. Jonathan Williams was your offense. You were were able to create explosive plays in the running game. But you fell behind in that football game. You had a lot of self-inflicted errors, such as penalties and things like that, that stop you from running the football on a consistent basis. That's the major reason, in my opinion, why this style of play is not sustainable. For that singular reason, I don't trust Washington to play clean football for long enough. Am I wrong for that? You saw it against Philadelphia. That game was scoreless going into the second quarter. Washington had zero success dropping Carson Wentz back. But where did they have success at? Running the football with Antonio Gibson. Running the football with J.D. McKissick. That's who this team is. There's no problem with that. 
But where you do run into problems playing that style of football, though, is like I said, you leave yourself such little margin for error. If they can cut down on the penalties, it gives them a chance. If they can constantly create positive plays on first and second down, it gives them a chance. It was evident on Sunday. You had a season-high 38 rushing attempts Sunday against Green Bay. End up getting a buck 66, 4.4 yards a pop. It's everything you want to be. But you know what the difference was in that game against Green Bay? They didn't have the mental mistakes offensively, the false starts, the holdings, illegal formation. They didn't shoot themselves in the foot. You know what else was key? They were able to create explosive plays in the running game. That's going to be the key because that's what you miss when you're playing that style of football where you're committed to running the football and not trying to throw the ball 30-plus times. Brian Robertson had a 24-yard gain in the running game. That's considered an explosive play. Anything that goes for 20 yards or more. Antonio Gibson had a 20-yard run in the running game. Curtis Samuel ripped off a 17-yard carry. If you're able to manufacture those big plays in the running game, it allows you to keep doing it. The question is, though, is that style of play sustainable for Washington? I don't think it is. I want to hear from you guys, though. 1-800-636-1067 is the number. Twitter and Instagram, you can get at me there as well. N-E-L-L underscore BTP. The question at hand is simple right now. Is this style of play sustainable for the Washington Commanders offense moving forward? Straight up. They ran the ball 38 times against Green Bay. That was a season high. 28 times against Chicago. It's led to this team going on their first two-game winning streak of the season. The question remains, is that style of play sustainable for this group moving forward? I'll take your calls and give you more of what I think next. This is The Fan. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Talking commanders right now, though, right off the rip. This team, in the midst of a two-game winning streak, seems as if they've really found their offensive identity to this point. Something that has escaped this group through the first six weeks of the season. They did not know who they wanted to be offensively. And anytime you were asked about it, talking about head coach Ron Rivera and offensive coordinator Scott Turner, they were quick to tell you, hey, look, we want to dictate tempo. 
we want to determine. What we want defenses to really challenge us as to how we're going to play. We want to be the tone setter. But through the first six weeks, Washington did not know what type of team they were going to be. The last two weekends, though, that Thursday night game and this past Sunday's win against Green Bay, they have clearly come out with a focus and emphasis on running the football. And it's not just some bell cow running back and Brian Robinson eating up all the carries. They're doing it in multiple different ways. J.D. McKissick's getting handoffs and carries sprinkled in. Antonio Gibson is continuing to create big-time plays in the running game. And Brian Robinson is your traditional short-down back guy that sets the tempo for you offensively. The beautiful thing, though, about Washington's running back room is all three of those guys that we mentioned, Gibson, McKissick, and Brian Robinson, can do it all. All three of those guys can catch the football out of the backfield. All three of those guys are good in between the tackles. All three of those guys are good at making guys miss. There isn't any run-pass tell whenever there's a substitution in the backfield. And, and initially, that's what I thought it would be. I wasn't aware of how good Brian Robinson's hands were. He had a couple big catches against Green Bay. Either as the check down or running screen plays to the guy. He's somebody who is one of Washington's most explosive offensive weapons. He's looking like a hell of a pickup right now. And what makes it even better is the story. So when it comes to Washington establishing their identity and finding out who they are, I think a big part of it has to do with just how good the personnel is at running back. You want to run the football when you got these three guys in the backfield. And I'm not even mentioning Jonathan Williams right now, who's dealing with a knee injury. They have guys in the backfield. And I think it's really led to this newfound offensive identity. The question out there for you guys, though, on the MGM National Harbor listener lines, 1-800-636-1067. Twitter and Instagram, you can get at me there as well, N-E-L-L underscore BTP. Is this style of play sustainable? 38 carries on Sunday against Green Bay. 28 carries on the Thursday night game against the Chicago Bears. Can Washington play that style of football here in the coming weeks and continue to pick up W's? I personally don't think they can sustain that success. And here's why. That style of play is predicated on playing mistake-free football on offense. No penalties, no negative plays. You must stay ahead of the chains So you are in manageable slash easy to convert third down situations. They did that against the Green Bay Packers. And that was ultimately the difference in that football game. I have to go back and check the numbers. I think Washington and their third down conversion rate on Sunday against Green Bay may have been their highest of the entire regular season. Seven of 16 on third down against the Packers. Why were you able to do that, though? You didn't have the self-inflicted wounds. You were creating positive plays on first and second down in the running game. It's very clear and apparent how this thing's going to work for Washington moving forward and what their style of play is going to try to be. They want to beat you up up front, and they want to put you and get themselves into those third and manageable situations to where there isn't an obvious run-pass tell. And it's crucial. Here's why. We all know whenever Washington, all season long, has been forced into obvious passing situations, they have struggled. Whether it's been the offensive line, whether it's been the play calling, or whether it's been the quarterback. 
all in all, they have struggled in the third and long situations. They have struggled in the obvious passing situations. We all know this offensive line is not built to pass protect at a high clip. They have struggled to do that. I will say this, though. The insertion of Tyler Larson into the lineup, and we, and we saw that against Chicago, you can see the difference. He makes the guys up front more comfortable. He is a calm, steadying presence for that group. Andrew Norwell, someone who has been god-awful, god-awful for the first six weeks, played his ass off Sunday. He is making the guys around him better, and he's your backup. So I want to give kudos to Washington from the roster-building standpoint. Tyler Larson, somebody who didn't practice all the training camp, has been trying to get himself ready after he tore his Achilles a season ago, has stepped in here and been a steadying force here in the past two weeks. He's a new part of Washington's offensive identity. He's well-versed in the system, and especially at center, it's huge because in this Scott Turner offense, the center has complete control over the protection up front, whether it's picking up blitzes or how they handle stunts. That all plays in to this newfound offensive identity that this group has. My question is, is it sustainable? 1-800-636-1067 is the number. N-E-L-L underscore BCP on Twitter. I guess I want to go back to the third down stuff because that's really that's really been the most interesting number and statistic to look at here when you talk about Washington and their success and can they sustain it offensively. Against Chicago, right, you ran the ball 28 times, 4.4 yards a pop. You were getting what you wanted pretty much when it mattered in the running game, right? It only added up to 12 points for you. And you got three of those points off of a special teams boo-boo. So clearly, clearly there is a flaw in that style of play. If I was to tell you 13, 14 days ago, going in to that Thursday night football game, that Washington was going to run the ball 28 times for a buck 28 and average 4.6 yards a pop, and they had three plays of 15 yards or more in the running game, if I would have told you they would only score 12 points in that game, you would have had me drug tested. You would have thought I was a loose screw, so to speak. But no, the difference in the Chicago game and the Green Bay game is what I've been saying all along and why I'm questioning the sustainability of this style of play. Against Chicago, we saw them shoot themselves in the foot on several occasions. Holdings, false start, illegal formation, illegal shift. They were finding ways to hurt themselves offensively. Which is why, even though you average 4.6 yards a pop on 28 carries, that's dream stuff offensively, man. It really is. From a statistical standpoint, it gets no better than that. The difference was seven penalties for 36 yards. I believe about four of those penalties, four or five of those penalties, were on the offensive side of the football. And as a result, Washington was a putrid two for 11 on third down against Chicago. It's all making sense here. If you really pay attention, I'm not just some shock jock. I got info for you, people. Listen to me. The biggest difference in Chicago game and the Green Bay game was the effectiveness that Washington had on third down. 
Why was it such a glaring difference? They didn't shoot themselves in the foot all game long. When this team plays clean football, it's then that you're allowed to run the football at will. When you're able to constantly have positive gains on first and second down. That's how you sustain this style of play. I just don't trust Washington to do it over an extended period of time. Notice last year, notice last year it only was for a four-game stretch. And then in that fifth game, what happened? You had a lot of penalties against the Cowboys. You also got down in that football game, and you had to throw the ball. Anytime that Taylor Heineke is at the helm at quarterback for Washington, and you are in obvious passing situations, it is going to be a struggle to pick up first downs on a consistent basis and to have any type of offensive success. He cannot win from the pocket. We know this about him. We got 15 starts of him last year. Sunday, he showed you once again, he struggles to make plays from the pocket. Can he do it here and there? Yeah. Can I diet and eat right for about a week? Yeah. It's not consistent, though. That's why I'm a little bit chunky, and that's why he's not a starting quarterback in this league. It's very simple. Consistency matters. And until this group can get that offensively, it doesn't matter what type of identity they want to deploy. It doesn't matter what type of team they want to be. Unless they can find some type of consistency, they are going to struggle to sustain this style of play. 1-800-636-1067 is the number. MGM National Harbor Listener Lines wide open. N-E-L-L underscore BTP is how you get at me on Twitter. Coming up at 7.30, David Harrison, co-host of the Locked On Commanders podcast, is going to join us. When we get back, we'll continue to take your calls and dive into this question. Is this style of play sustainable for Washington moving forward? Plus, we'll get into a little bit of the performance of Taylor Heineke from this weekend as well. Don't go anywhere. Linnell Willingham with you here on The Fan. Is this two-game winning streak for real? Are the things that we've learned about this group in the past two weekends, are they for real? Because right now it seems as if they found themselves an offensive identity. They want to run the football, and they want to keep themselves out of obvious passing situations to allow their offense to have success. We saw it on Sunday against Green Bay, one of their best third down showings of the entire year. You go 7 of 16 on the money down. All of that, in my opinion, though, is because of the success they had on first and second down and the fact that they just simply didn't shoot themselves in the foot. The question is, is this style of play sustainable? 1-800-636-1067 is the number. MGM National Harbor Listener Line is wide open. 1-800-636-1067. N-E-L-L underscore BTP is how you reach me on the Twitter app. Our man Wesley tapping in and says, I'm hoping for the best, but I don't think the current way they are getting it done is sustainable. Very sloppy play at the end of both wins. It just happened to work out. Also, Norwell still getting driven back way too deep once the ball is snapped. Appreciate you tapping in, Wesley. And, man, look, the Andrew Norwell discussion is very interesting uh, when it comes to this commander's offensive line because, like I said, I feel as if his play has been better over the last two weeks, and I think that is a direct correlation to Tyler Larson being inserted into this starting lineup due to the injury to Chase Rulie. He has settled them down at that position offensively. And I think Washington and their ability to run the football has also helped out Andrew Norwell. Because let's let's be honest with the situation here. 
I don't think Washington did a good job scouting opposing rosters this offseason. What do I mean by that? You bring in Trey Turner and Andrew Norwell, two guys that from day one, it was very apparent, are much better going forward as run blockers than they are going backwards as pass blockers. Why is that a problem? Well, this offseason, the bill of goods that we were sold was that this was going to be a vertical passing attack with Carson Wentz. This was going to be a group that wanted to push the football down the field and create chunk plays in the passing game. Well, to do to that, well, in order to do that, you got to drop back and throw the football. That is where we saw this group struggle up front. Whenever they were in those obvious passing situations that I've been talking about, that group struggled. But the thing that was encouraging, though, from Carson Wentz's perspective at least, and we'll talk about him in depth as the show moves along as well, what was encouraging about that from Wentz's standpoint was whenever he did have a clean pocket, you saw the chunk plays. The deep ball to De'Ami Brown against Tennessee early on in the season against Detroit when he was protected in that football game in the second half. You saw him create those chunk plays in the passing game. That clearly isn't their offensive identity, though, at this point, through the last two weeks. It's not who they are. They are a run-first, ground-and-pound, beat-you-up, control-the-time-of-possession football team. Is that sustainable, though? It involves them playing clean football on a consistent basis. It involves them not having the self-inflicted wounds. And it also involves offensive coordinator Scott Turner being willing to stick to that formula. Because as an offensive coordinator, I know how frustrating it must be to understand that, well, if I call a pass play, there's a pretty good chance I can hit for a 30, 35-yard gain. But playing the style of football that they're playing right now, relying on this rushing attack, it requires patience. It's another thing that I'm curious about when it comes to this commander's offense moving forward. Do they have the patience to play this brand of football? I don't think they do, which is also why I don't think this style of play is sustainable. We've seen it for the last two weeks. This Sunday, you got another test on the road in Indy against a pretty formidable defense. You're going against the leading tackler in the NFL, Zaire Franklin, somebody who specializes in sniffing out the run and diagnosing those running plays. Will you have the patience to stick with it if you're only getting two yards on first down, three yards on first down? That is what this style of play requires. You got to be willing to understand and play the long game and understand that as games progress and get deeper into the fourth quarter, Brian Robinson becomes a hell of a lot harder to tackle. Antonio Gibson becomes a hell of a lot harder to contain. J.D. McKissick catches you off guard. If Washington can maintain that patience, and playing the three yards in the cloud of dust football, I think it'll help them out here in the next few weeks, specifically Sunday against Indianapolis, because that is going to be a dogfight. The only thing right now in between Washington and a 500 start through the first four weeks, through the first eight weeks, excuse me, of the season, is Sam Ellinger and the Indianapolis Colts. If I would have told you that back in August, you'd say, sign me up. But look at the predicament that this football team is in right now. And we'll get into this a little bit later on in the show. Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington 
had a hell of an article that really broke down what I'm about to say here. If you're Washington, are you willing to play the long game? Are you willing to trade short-term success for not having your quarterback? Because right now, let's be honest, no matter how long this winning streak lasts, we all know and understand Taylor Heineke is not the guy moving forward here at the quarterback position. We as fans may already know that. I wonder if the guys in that building understand that. I wonder if Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew and Martin Herney really feel like, look, do we are we giving Taylor Heineke another shot right now? Is this another portion of his audition? Because I'm of the mindset when you're evaluating a quarterback, which is why this is why I thought Dwayne Haskins got a tough break. When you're evaluating a quarterback and a young quarterback specifically, and that's what Taylor Heineke is, he hasn't had the prerequisite amount of starts for me to be able to truly evaluate him and get a gauge on him. I look at 32 starts. It's a 16-game season. You need two years, in my opinion, to really get a good gauge on what Heineke is. You saw 15 starts from him last year. Now that Carson Wentz has changed your plans because of his injury, are you reassessing Taylor Heineke as your potential quarterback of the future or at least even a bridge? Because that's another thing that I think gets misconstrued a lot with, within casual football fan circles. There's a difference between somebody who you, who you view as a franchise guy and a bridge quarterback. Because with a bridge quarterback, he's supposed to be good enough to get you ready for the next guy. Look at a couple of examples around the National Football League at bridge quarterbacks that have had success. A guy like Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee. He is not their long-term answer at quarterback. He's not, which is why you saw them draft a Malik Willis this year. But his style of play was good enough and consistent enough to where you can win regular season games. And if you play complimentary football the way Tennessee did, they carried him all the way to the number one seed in the AFC last year. Ryan Tannehill was the quarterback of the number one seed in the AFC last year. But Tennessee like Washington has now, had an identity, understood what type of team they wanted to be. They are well coached by Mike Vrabel. I am a firm believer that he gets the most out of the least in the National Football League. Tennessee's not littered with all pros and Pro Bowl guys on that roster, but they understand who they are and they stick to their game plan. It's going to be interesting to see here moving forward whether or not Washington can sustain this success offensively that they've had. The big key for me, third down, early down success, and whether or not they can straight up play clean football. We'll talk a little bit of NBA in the 8 o'clock hour. Top of that hour, Chris Miller, the play-by-play voice of NBC, of NBC Sports Washington, full of Washington Wizards, is set to join the show. We'll talk to him about their 3-1 and one start. Coming up next here, though, on Overtime, David Harrison, co-host of the Locked On Commanders podcast, is set to join us. I'll ask him the same question I posed out to you guys. Is Washington's offensive success here in the past two weeks sustainable? David Harrison is next. We were talking about this offensive success that this team has had the past two weeks and how they've found their identity. We'll continue that discussion right now with our guest on the BetQL guest hotline. Bet smarter, beat the books, download the BetQL app today. Joining us right now is the co-host of the Locked On Commanders podcast, David Harrison. You can give him a follow on Twitter at dharrison82. What's going on, David? How you doing, man? What's up, man? How are you? I am good. Trying to get to the bottom of the topic at hand for tonight, man. 
I'll start off with this. The question I posed out to the listeners, do you think this style of play is sustainable for Washington on offense? What I mean by that, clearly the past two weeks they have found their identity, something that they have been lacking through the first six weeks of the season. They ran the ball 28 times against Chicago for 4.6 yards a pop. Then Sunday against Green Bay, they ran it a season high 38 times. Do you trust them to play clean enough football to keep that and be able to play that sustainable style of football? Do you think it's sustainable? Um, do I trust them to do it consistently and cleanly? That's that's one one part of that. And I think that, you know, with with anything, the more you see it done, the more confidence you can possibly have in it, you know, being done consistently over and over again. But I think that when you look at Washington, you know, Tanner Heineke has been in his offense for years and years and years and and I asked them about some of the new wrinkles we saw in the second half against Green Bay versus what we've seen the rest of the season, you know, with Carson and then even in the first half with Taylor, which is a more traditional drop back, stay in the pocket, scan the field, try to find the open guy type of offense. We saw a lot more pocket movement, um, which is something that, you know, I've been screaming for for over right. a year now. So I was very happy with that. And it was successful. And, and then we saw the run game really get kind of a, a big role in that. And I think that's that's going to be the key. So, you know, Brian Robinson is new to this whole thing. Antonio Gibson's in a new role. Jahan Dotson hasn't even been on the field with Taylor yet. Logan Thomas this season hasn't either. And Curtis Samuel, even though they had that connection going back to Carolina, we've only seen one game of them doing that consistently here in Washington. So all of those reasons, you know, it's kind of like next week, will one of those pieces fall off and have a bad game? And that's kind of the question there. But whether the system itself that we saw for the last two quarters against Green Bay is sustainable in my belief. I think, yeah, it it absolutely is because you can use elements of that attack that they're using against Green Bay against any defense in the National Football League. The question, like you mentioned, is, is it going to work consistently? That's the only question. Does the theory work? Absolutely. Yeah, and see, David, it's interesting that you brought that perspective to the whole thing because I'm of the belief that, no, it's not sustainable, and here's why. Part of what I kind of said to you, I don't trust them to play clean, mistake-free football like that. When you are running the ball as much as they are, and you know this, David, somebody who's well-versed with the way NFL football works, when you're running the football as much as Washington has, all that and that style of play is predicated on playing mistake-free football. you got to stay ahead of the change. you got to continue to have positive gains on first and second down. Something we saw against Chicago, even, a game in which Washington had success running the football, the penalties, whether it's a legal procedure or a false start or a holding, those things set you back. And when you're playing that style of ball, you have such little margin for error. I just don't trust yeah. this group to do that on a week-in and week-out basis. Yeah, that's the key. I mean, you know, and, and I think that's a fair assessment. You look at this this offense and, you know, you go kind of down the line and, and almost to a man there has been a game or a stretch in a game where one of them or multiple, you know, guys on the front line alone have had very costly penalties. And if you turn, you know, a, a first and 10 three-yard run by Brian Robinson into a 10-yard penalty or a five-yard penalty, right. Uh, for something like that. Now all of a sudden it's first and 15 and you come back and get another three yard run. Well, Brian just gave you six yards of total first down offense, but you only got credit for three and now you're actually behind the chains, like you said. So that's, that's going to be very important. And I think you're hundred percent correct there that the margin for error when you want to lean on the run is certainly, um, you know, it's, it's, it's reduced drastically, but so is the need for a fast start to, right. you know, to come out. And, and again, you know, first, first half, uh, the Green Bay Packers game. Uh, if I don't don't quote me specifically on these numbers, but I think 43% of their first half possessions 
uh, put the team in position to score. And I put it that way because obviously we have the missed field goal. Right. Uh, but, you know, as a quarterback, as an offense, all you can ask them to do is put the team in position to score. So that's less than half of the first half possessions. The second half, they come out in 75% of their drives, not only put them in position to score, but they actually score points. And I think you need to have an average around 66% to really expect consistent success. And, and when you're running this type of an offense, you don't only want to shoot for 66%, I think you have to have that 66% because looking forward to the Colts, you know, you have a young, inexperienced quarterback, Sam Ellinger. If 66% of your first half drives produce points, you're looking at probably about four or five scoring opportunities. You're looking at 15 points minimum, maybe more than 20, you know, if you can get there. That puts the ball in Sam Ellinger's hands. That's where you want it. You don't want it in JT's hands. You want it in Sam's hands. And then you need your defense to come up with plays. I want to go back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier when we first started talking here about the changes in the offense with Taylor Heineke in there. I thought it was interesting. I wanted to ask yeah. you this. What you make of the comments from the Fox broadcast that Washington would have more of the playbook available now that Taylor Heineke's in there at quarterback? Because all we heard all this offseason was how Carson Wentz was supposed to come in here and allow this team to use more of the playbook. I was kind of confused by the messaging there. Yeah, so I think, it's, I think it's interesting. I think what Carson Wentz really allows you to do is push the ball more, and I think that people – that can be misconstrued as opening the playbook more, but really, I mean, you know, I, you know, I didn't realize Carson and then, you know, I'll, I'll call myself out on this. I, you know, with the whole moving the, the pocket thing, I've been calling for that with Carson Wentz in there as well. And there was actually a moment in Chicago where Scott called up uh, a design quarterback run with Carson <laughs> either that or he checked into it and man, he started moving. I was like, okay, that's not, it's that's not, not the Carson. I thought we were, we were having, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I will admit that my, my understanding of how mobile he could be, not, you know, I never thought he was Patrick Mahomes by any means, but right. I thought he was more than, than what we saw there. And, and, you know, look, that's, you know, so that's on me. That's not on anybody else. Um, so from that element, and, and I think, and, and you know, that kind of goes back to all of the, the roots of the problems early on in the season. One of the best ways uh, to help your offensive line when it's struggling uh, against pass rushes is to move it, you know, side to side. You want to get those defensive ends and those pass rushes running sideways instead of up and down field. Well, when you don't have a quarterback that, that, can, that can facilitate that, it's kind of hard to lean on that. I look at Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as another prime example. Uh, I think Carson's a little bit more mobile than Tom is at this point. But, right. you know, Taylor certainly opens up that next dimension. I think, like, the amount of the playbook that's open, I think you're probably looking at a similar amount because you can't just dial up four vertical routes uh, you know, against cover four and expect Taylor Heineke to fit the, fit the ball in right. uh, to the exact spot between, you know, defenders. That's just not his game. But what you lose in that ability, you gain in that sideline to sideline ability. So instead of stretching uh, defenses hor- or vertically, you're looking to stretch them horizontally and getting your quarterback moving horizontally also helps you find spots in that, which, again, I think is what we saw more of in the second half of what I expect to see in Indianapolis. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the the running back specifically. I know we know the running game has been the catalyst yeah. the last two weekends. Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson have done a nice job complimenting each other. I was curious from your standpoint, do you think Washington moving forward is going to go with the formula of riding the hot hand, or do you think they have specific plays dialed up for each back? Because it felt as if on Sunday, and really in Chicago, specifically against Chicago, Antonio Gibson and him ripping off some of these chunk runs was why Washington got it going offensively. I think he presents a perfect change of pace for Brian Robinson. But moving forward, Washington's going to have some conflict here. Do you stick yeah. with Robinson or do you go with the hot hand? 
Right. I think you I think you have to stick with the formula that's working right now, and that's a two thirds carry share between Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson. And and uh, you know, you can use whatever analogy uh, you want to when, when you're talking about this kind of thing, but you always want to tenderize your meat before you sear it, right? So Brian <laughs> Robinson goes in there and softens up the defense, right. uh, and then you use Antonio Gibson to come through and burn them when they're tired. That's that's kind of the way I, I kind of looked at it, and I think it worked really well. You know, people who have Brian Robinson on their fantasy team are not going to be happy with 20 carries, 70-something yards, and no touchdowns, uh, but the Washington Commanders aren't interested in fantasy football. They're interested in winning football, and at the end of the day, what you saw that, you know, again, that, that horizontal movement, on the defensive line, Brian Robinson running through their strong runs, you know, carrying guys from, from time to time. He also had a 20-plus yard run uh, on the day as well that some people are forgetting about. You saw him kind of come in there and just beat up that Green Bay Packers defense, and then Antonio Gibson uh, came in, and like you mentioned, on the on the specific play that you're talking about, just, I mean, expert field uh, awareness by, right. by AG. I mean, he comes in, and the hole he's supposed to hit actually has a defender in it, but he very quickly shifts his direction plants his foot, goes no wasted steps, and hits the lane that is open uh, and turns it into a big game. And that's, I think, shout-out to not only him, but also running back coach Randy Jordan. Saw them literally today at practice working on uh, reading gaps, reading uh, reading where the lane was, and quickly shifting direction. And I think that's, you know, that's a combination of work by the player, uh, attentiveness by the player, and also the coaching that's, that's producing those things. So there's no reason. I get why people are saying it, and I get why, you know, if you've got AG on your fantasy right. roster, you want to see those touches flipped. But I don't think you get the same punch from AG leading the way, Brian coming in as the kind of the second back than you do with the way that it's running right now. Joining us right now on the BetQL guest hotline, Bet Smarter, Beat the Books, download the BetQL app today, is the co-host of the Locked On Commanders podcast, David Harrison. You can follow him on Twitter, at DHarrison82. I want to go and talk more about this offense, David. I think the offensive line in the past two weeks has also been steadied in their performance as well. How much of an impact do you think Tyler Larson coming into the lineup has had on the entirety of this offensive line? Because it feels like, to me, he's even making the guys around him play a lot better. I know Andrew Norwell was somebody that had been struggling uh, before Tyler Larson got inserted into the, into the lineup. But it feels like the last two weeks, Tyler Larson has provided this calming presence. Uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think, you know, it's 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 really just a matter of doing doing your part within within the entire unit as a whole. And I think that's Kind of the big thing, right? When you have, and we mentioned this before, we you know there was there was early stretches where every single guy on the offensive line had problems, whether it was with penalties or or blown protection or or what have you. And I don't know that Tyler has really kind of come out here doing anything that's you know super outstanding to elevate the play of everybody else. I think he's just doing his job and he's doing it well and he's he's doing it with discipline. Um, he's not making the small mistakes that you know cause big problems. And when you look, you know, when there's a when there's a partner on the line doing those kinds of things, it's it's almost. I mean, it's, it's the old adage, you know, misery loves company. It's almost easier right. to excuse your own mistakes when other guys are making similar or the same mistakes. Totally. So when you bring a guy on who just simply kind of does his job, it makes you almost, you know, it's it's like, oh well, now if I'm if I'm the problem, if I make the mistake, now the 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 spotlight on me is even brighter because this guy next to me is not bringing any light on himself. So I think that's really kind of more of what you're seeing. Uh, than anything else. Plus, Andrew Norwell, you know, he had his own injury, so coming back and getting more stabilized and comfortable with the calls and checks, uh, the system as well is going to help him progress as well. So I don't know if I would put it all on one or two people. I think just as a group, they're getting one more comfortable with each other uh, with the experiences that they're having within the, the system and then just finding a way to play a more disciplined brand of football. I want to flip things over to the defensive side of the football, David. 
the commander's defense, you know, began the season really look looking like they were, you know, poised to repeat those struggles that they had in 2021. Um, yeah. And then the past five games, they've really seemed like they've turned it around. Got some numbers here for you. So the first two weeks of the season, Washington was 24th in explosive plays allowed. The last five weeks, they've been fifth in explosive plays allowed. And that number, you know, goes in a lot of other statistical categories, whether it's the uh, the the percentage of plays at 10-plus yards or more. Washington's improved from 31st to fifth in that category. In your mind, though, what's been the biggest reason for Washington's turnaround defensively? Uh, I think part of it is, is Jack Del Rio is is having some success finding the right spots for the right people and playing the right people in the right in the right position and, and responsibilities. And Jamin Davis, I think, is a big uh, big part of that. You know, he sees his role has kind of shifted to uh, I don't know, you know what what they're officially calling it, kind of inside the building, but I almost call it uh, kind of a, a box prowler. You know what I mean? Like he kind of plays within that eight yard box area and, and watches the line of scrimmage, looks for the the, the dump off to the running back and and does all these things, and, and sure, he's doing some other things as well, but that's really where he's kind of starting to shine, and you're seeing his athleticism uh, be able to turn into big plays. And, you know, some of the plays he made against Green Bay, you're, you're looking at a linebacker who is very confident in what he is doing and what his abilities bring to the field, and I think that's been a big key because it allows other guys, you know, we've talked to Cole Holcomb all offseason training camp, preseason, and during the year about uh, being the captain of the defense, and he's talked about trust and assignments and knowing where guys are going to be, and and kind of having that communication factor. Well, it's it's one thing to tell somebody what they need to do. It's a whole other thing to trust that they're going to actually do it because when you they, you don't, it kind of causes you to change the way you're playing. So the more Cole can trust Jamin and even, you know, Derek when he's in the box or Cam when he's in the box or whoever it is, the more they can do their jobs. And, you know, you saw Cole Holcomb in great position to make a play late in the game against Packers. Didn't ultimately make the play, but, you know, you're, you're in great position. That's step number one is you got to be there to make the play. Now you got to try to – to actually make the thing. And then, you know, you look at Benjamin St. Juice moving back outside and, Love and benching William Jackson. Um, I know a lot of people think that simply benching Jackson was addition by subtraction. I don't think it's that simple. But I think moving Ben out there, he's now brought a different type of strength to the defense that they didn't have before. And then Wild Goose, you know, week to week, he's, he's getting better. I don't know that he'll ever be the top nickel in the NFL, but week to week, he's looking more and more comfortable. And I think that's Really, the key is everybody's just starting to look more and more comfortable in their roles and executing their duties. Yeah, when Jack DeRio was asked about that earlier today, he kind of just you know alluded to them just doing the fundamentals a lot better, tackling, run fitting, right. rushing with discipline up, up front. So I'm excited to see the turnaround that they've made defensively, and I think it's something that they'll be able to sustain here. And got premium yeah. conference, uh, confidence in that group because you get Chase Young coming back uh, here in the coming weeks as well. I'll let you go on this, David. The trade deadline is November 1st. Do you think Washington will make any moves? Do you think they'll be buyers or sellers uh, come November first? Uh, I mean, everybody, you know, everybody's focus is on William Jackson. I mean, uh, you know, the I mean, but David, how, how realistic that, that they can get that horrible contract off the books? I mean, how? <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's I that's that's the, actually that's the question to be honest with you. And I mean, what you really need is a team that feels like they're a competitor that needs a man cover guy who uh, is willing to to trade for them instead of run the risk that you're just going to release them because I don't think that's going to necessarily happen. But, um, you know, some of the best fits that were kind of thrown out there, the Pittsburgh Steelers, New England Patriots were a couple of them. They're not really in that kind of competitive state where they'd be willing to send even a seventh-round draft pick. I mean, you're not going to get much for him at this point yeah. in time. Like, you're not – you know, anybody thinks you're getting a third or a fourth-round pick 
for William Jackson. It's just just not going to happen. But there is a fit for him out there somewhere. And I just, you know, if this is a a relationship that's uh, beyond repair, then you would just like to see both sides uh, be able to move forward. Because if the, if, if the first comes and goes and there's no deal made and he's still on the roster, I mean, you either got to put him on IR and essentially just, you know, tell him thanks, you know, have a, have a good rest of your future. We'll deal with it in the off season or, you're going to be, you know, sitting with a situation where you've got this veteran cornerback on your roster and you can't hide behind a back injury, you know, uh, <laughs> not saying that it's not real in any sort, you know what I mean? No, I but you. I you can't you. hide behind a back injury for the rest of the season and just not answer for it. So, you know, as, as much as Ron, you know, is trying to keep the focus on the players and what's going on on the field, like th- if this guy's not going to be on the field because of whatever reason, whether it's him, the team, or a combination of both, uh, let's find a way to move him. But again, you know, uh, Washington can't just say, hey, we're trading this guy and push him on somebody. There's got to be somebody on the other end willing to make a deal. Real quick, do you think Deron Payne is on this football team come November 1st? I think Deron Payne, that, that is a very tough question. <laughs> um, if this team is 500 coming back from Indianapolis, yes, he's absolutely on this team. Yeah. If they're not – I'm not saying he's not because even three and five, man, like look at the NFC three and five, you are right in the thick of it. You know what I mean? Like, so I lean no, or I lean that he (laughs) doesn't get traded either way, unless there's just kind of a blown away type of deal. But Duran, I mean, look, Duran's body language on the field at practice in the locker room, like with the media, like if (laughs) if he is disgruntled at all, he's not showing it. You know what I mean? (laughs) And then the team has to be happy with his production. This might be a situation where they just let it play out, man. And, and, and unfortunately, he may leave, you know, t- into free agency, and they get a third round pick for him in two years, and that would, you know, be a little bit unfortunate. But if you're not going to get a third round pick this year for him or better, and you're in the hunt for a playoff spot, I think you keep him. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's a fine balance between short term success and long term building. I think Washington yeah. is going to have to try to realize and find out here in the coming weeks. David, I appreciate you giving me some time, man. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you. Always getting smarter talking ball with David Harrison. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at DHarrison82. Lucky for David, he covers the Commanders and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Obviously, two teams right now that feel like they're going in completely opposite directions. Speaking of going in opposite directions, we're going to do that at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. Chris Miller, the play-by-play voice of your Washington Wizards, is set to join the program to talk to us about their 3-1 and start. They got a win last night against Detroit. Coming back, though. Like we do every Wednesday night here on Overtime, it's Nell's Super Six Pack, my top six teams across the National Football League. That's next here on The Fan. Big thanks to David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast for joining us in the last segment. If you're listening and wanted to, and you missed that, go back on and use the Odyssey Rewind feature. Go back to the 740 segment there. David Harrison joining us. Right now, though, we're going to do what we do every Wednesday here on Overtime here on 106.7. It's time for Nell's Super Six Pack, my top six teams across the National Football League. Let's get right into it. Number one, for the seventh straight week, the Buffalo Bills. They're coming off a bye week, but that defense is still dominant. They're another team that's getting more healthy as the season progresses. Josh Allen... For the first seven weeks, has hands down been the best quarterback in football. Von Miller has added something to this defense that, quite frankly, they were missing. And why you sign a guy like that? If this pass rush continues to do what they're doing, I think Buffalo is going to be a tough out. 
my number two team, an L Super Six Pack, the team that stole the day today, the Philadelphia Eagles, making that trade to acquire Robert Quinn, 18 and a half sacks a year ago for the Bears. Now he's going to be wearing the Dirty Birds colors. I think what Philadelphia is doing right now is sort of like Washington and what Washington's trying to do. They've established an offensive identity, and they're going to be that team through in and throughout. The Philadelphia Eagles, my two team in Nell's Super Six Pack. My third team in Nell's Super Six Pack, Patty Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs coming off a statement win on Sunday against the 49ers. They hung up 44 points against that vaunted defense led by D'Amico Ryans, who's going to be a head coach next year regardless. When they protect Patrick Mahomes, this is the best quarterback in football. The thing that I wonder about with the Kansas City Chiefs, can they do it defensively on a consistent basis? They're my three-team, though, in Nell's Super Six Pack. My fourth best team in the National Football League heading into week number eight is Joey Beansboro in the Cincinnati Bengals. They're making their debut on Nell's Super Six Pack, and here's why. Going into next week, they're the 11th-ranked defense in football in terms of total yards given up for contests. That offense, after struggling against Dallas and Pittsburgh early on this year, is clicking. This Bengals offense is evolving. They're now running the ball less on these early downs, and they're pivoting to the shotgun-heavy, light personnel offense, and it's working. Joe Mixon's still a part of this thing, but this passing offense is finally hitting its stride. My fifth team in Nell's Super Six Pack, another NFC's team, making their debut in Nell's Super Six Pack, the Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott answered plenty of questions on Sunday on his return to action from the thumb injury, 19-25, to 207 in a touchdown. This is still a top-five defense in football. Ezekiel Elliott's going to be out. He's dealing with an MCL sprain. I think they can stay afloat with Tony Pollard while he recovers with that. They're my fifth-best team in the National Football League. The sixth and final team in Nell's Super Six Pack is the New York Football Giants making their debut. I love the style of ball that they're playing. As long as they're able to create explosive plays in the running game, they're going to be hard to beat. They're another team that has gone with this run-first identity. Saquon Barkley right now, the second-leading rusher in the National Football League. Vintage Saquon Barkley. And Daniel Jones, man, playing good football, and he's putting them in a tough spot as to what they're going to do with him this offseason. They didn't pick up that fifth-year option. I think once, once the season is over, he's going to be a hotly coveted quarterback in the National Football League. They're physical and aggressive. I love the style of football that they're playing. The New York Football Giants, the sixth and final team in Nell's Super Six-Pack. Let's switch gears here a little bit when we come back. Chris Miller, the TV play-by-play voice for your Washington Wizards, set to join us next. We'll have him give us the latest on Bradley Beal and DeLon Wright. Those two got hurt in the win last night against the Pistons. We'll talk all that and more. DC Family coming up next here on Overtime. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.